Good morning, wise women. Jan Wakefield-Darvis here, uh, producing our second wonderfully beautiful second podcast of 2020. Today I have with me um, a dear friend I've known for many, many years, uh, Sue Van Reyes. She is from Boulder Nutrition, of course, out of Boulder, Colorado. And Sue and I have been friends since our, our children were pretty much born. So about 25 years. That's a really long time. I can't even like, I get chills thinking about that number. So it's been a long time. And I remember when I first met Sue, she was uh, this bright light in a world of a lot of chaos of having young babies. And uh, she was always so calm and and prepared. And I always really admired her ability to be this amazing mother and be so focused and just so calm. That's the thing I really remember. And uh, so Sue, one day, um, a day or two after I met her, I, I kept thinking, gosh, I really need to be closer to this person. She's just, she's just such a bright light and her energy is so nice. And she's such a beautiful person. And she ended up becoming my neighbor and she lived next door. And that was really wonderful. We shared a backyard together and our babies got to play together. And uh, that delightful experience, of course, has, um, you know, resulted in two really wonderful boys that, uh, that we each have. One of us, you know, we each have boys. And so Sue today is going to talk to you about, uh, we're going to talk today about Boulder Nutrition and about women's relationship to food uh, and also our relationship, like how yoga, I guess, connects to, uh, to our food psychology as well. And uh, I spoke with Sue a couple of days ago, and we were discussing how women are on this cusp this of a huge breakthrough. And this seems to be a theme in, in my conversations with women these days. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Sue Van Reyes from Boulder Nutrition. Sue, thank you for being here with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to both reconnect with you and also to be able to share something like this together after all the things we've been through in our lives that have crossed over this is a great way to circle back yeah absolutely um so sue tell everybody um who you are and what kind of work you offer with boulder nutrition sure so um yeah sue van rays i live here in boulder colorado um migrated over from Arizona many years ago. And before that, I grew up in uh, Vancouver, Canada, actually. And I founded Boulder Nutrition in 2003. And it's like my passion, working with women and health. Um, I also am a yoga practitioner. And so I weave that into my work in some to some degree. Um, so my business is primarily focused on women's health. Uh, I specialize in functional nutrition, uh, food psychology, and I guess we could call it mind-body connection because yoga is my preferred modality personally in, in the realm of spiritual practice and awareness arts, but I also really value many others that can offer us a similar inward journey, I guess we could say. Um, yeah. And so I have a, an office here in Boulder, Colorado, where I see patients live. And I also work remotely with 
uh, people all around the country. And I offer online programs and immersions that way, as well as I also lead women's wellness retreats around the world that where we focus on an immersion into the lifestyle, the awareness arts and uh, personal transformation. Yeah. So I love what I do and um, I'm excited to be able to talk about that with you. That's fantastic. So if you were to sum this all up into one line, what do you, what do you do in a one sentence um, heading? Yeah. Um, so I would say that for me, my mission really in my work, which I think is kind of what you're asking, is about healing our feminine relationship to food, body, and pleasure. Okay. Those are the, those are the three kind of pillars that I really value in my, my work, but also in the work that I've done for myself. Like it's all kind of, you know, professional and personal at this point. Of course. Yeah. I think the most meaningful work we do with others comes out of some type of experience we've had in our own lives. Definitely. What is a food psychologist? Um, That's an interesting thing because I have that um, asked, I have that question asked of me a lot. I think it's kind of a new phrase or term. Um, So food psychology is the, really the relationship we have with food and our bodies, which is just a little bit different than um, learning about, you know, nutrition or, um, you know, the science behind food. I think that in our world today, there is a lot of disconnect from um, the intuitive side of um, eating and also the intelligence of our bodies. So often we are found to be looking outward for answers, for, you know, solutions, for ways to amend um, the way we think about ourselves, the way we relate to our bodies, the way we eat. And what I am really focused on in my work is turning us back to the intelligence and wisdom of our bodies and learning that our relationship to food has many different elements, including um, the ways in which we basically comfort ourselves in many cases. And that could be with food or with lack of food in some cases. Um, Also, there is a really interesting relationship uh, that I find to be really prevalent in the world today, which is um, being able to discern the different aspects of the feminine in the the feminine cycles and in the earthly cycles that really dictate um, what our bodies need. And when we're focused so much on the outward experience or the outward um, investigation for answers, we often override some of those natural, fluid, feminine qualities that can really guide our eating and our health. Wow. That's amazing. And you summed it up so beautifully saying that, um, you know, the ability to discern the different aspects of the feminine cycle, I think a lot of women don't even know what those different aspects are. So could you say a little bit more about that? Sure. So I like to focus on the bodily cycles as well as the earthly cycles, because I think they're very much connected, obviously. Um, And I think part of the problem really to start with is that we have become very disconnected from um, those cycles in general, but also we have sort of in our minds disconnected ourselves from nature. And I'm always just happy to remind myself and my clients that we are nature. And so it's not even like we are, 
you know, we can learn from nature, we can, you know, immerse ourselves in nature and find great healing, but there's also an aspect of ourselves that really directly is nature. And um, within that, we have the cycles of the month, which can be related to the moon or our hormones. We have the cycles of the year through the seasons. And as we fine tune our eating and our lives and our health practices and our self-care practices, we can really start to match them and align them with those natural cycles of body and earth. And that really, for me, shows up with my cravings, my sleep patterns, the foods that are best going to nourish my body might change a little bit from week to week or season to season. And um, it's, it's different for everyone. There are definitely some universals, of course. Um, but I do find that um, for me, watching the different ways my energy shows up, my cravings and my hunger shows up, um, and how I need to really tend to myself throughout these cycles um, has really kind of offered me a little bit of a navigation system that be, has become really um, supportive for myself. And so I've been really focused on that with a lot of the women I work with um, around, you know, often we're looking for like an answer that is static in our eating or in our health. Like, tell me what to eat, tell me what to do, tell me how to take care of myself. And it becomes like this finite um, answer that a lot of us are looking for, which, which, is, which is interesting because as women, what I find is that we're very fluid and we're very dynamic. And as soon as we box ourselves in to a certain regimen, we're taking ourselves out of that natural flow of nature and those cycles of body and earth. And once again, as I said, they're a little different for everyone. So I don't think I can really like nail down like, oh, this week and this week and this week. But if we, um, if we start to watch and start to track ourselves, especially on a monthly um, cycle, we can start to see what, what, we're, what we're needing and what we're um, intuitively craving and work with those as really important aspects of aligning with our higher selves, I guess we could say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that so much in, in my coaching clients and even in my students, there is this sense of if I can just have uh, structure or control around something, then I don't have to pause or slow down or listen to that inner wisdom of my body saying, you know, today you need X, Y, or Z, a little extra sleep or a little more water or maybe electrolytes or whatever comes to mind. Um, it's, it's like there's this sense of our world is so busy and so crazy that we have this idea in our minds that because there's a structure to our work or there's a structure to the way we drive our cars, that somehow this process of connecting to the feminine, connecting to the eating patterns and cycles, we can somehow create a structure around it and control it, which we certainly can, yet there needs to be that fluidity of um, also accepting that some days are not going to fit any sort of structure whatsoever, and you got to just trust your intuition and your, you know, your sense of self-awareness. Um, so I love what you just said about that. It's, it's so true that women are, we are bound by nature and it's hard for, I think, humans to imagine because we have created such a, a great uh, amount of worldly structure. We forget that we are in fact 
part of this bigger thing. And if we deny that, then somehow we can be in charge, maybe. So um, that being said, how do you actually encourage women to come back to that place of remembering their their connection to nature, remembering or even just honing or focusing on bodily cycles, not as a way to self-punish, but as a way to kind of liberate themselves from whatever negative psychology they have around food. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a very important question and why do you ask it? And it's also very complicated because we have so many cultural and um, I guess you could say like the patriarchal um, overlays on our perspective, right? So we really have to start to back out of those for us to be able to really, truly listen. And so I almost um, don't like to use the word intuitive eating for that reason, because for so many people, it doesn't seem possible right out of the gate. Um, it's definitely uh, challenging to trust our intuitions when we're not used to it or to listen to our body when we're not used to it. So the practice of doing that for me and what I've really found to be successful with my clients is really about the mind-body connection. And it's really about reflection and awareness and it's gradual. Um, when we're basically, you know, in the cycle of what the world has been teaching us for you know, decades, some of us, um, we surely are not going to have, a, you know, snap our fingers and expect things to change. So that's why having some kind of awareness practice, I think, is, is integral in this work. And yeah. as I said, I personally, like, tend to go towards yoga and meditation and journaling and things like that. And those are things that I have passion around. Um, other people may not, and that's fine. But it is important, I believe, to find some way to really work the mind-body connection so that we can start to reveal that intelligence in the body. And it does take a little bit of practice if we're not used to it, of course. It can feel awkward. It can feel um, a little out of control if we're used to controlling what we're doing very, very like strictly. Um, and it can feel daunting to trust ourselves. So it's a path. And it's a practice and it is something that um, I think, you know, we all can enter way down that path for our lifetime, really. And it's always possible to go deeper. It's always possible to get even more attuned to ourselves, um, you know, each and every day. So it's definitely a journey. But I do find that um, when my clients are able to, like, learn the... Um, the science almost behind the physical body and the intelligence of the body and even the biochemistry of the body. Um, it is really helpful to then be able to um, open that door into possibility. I think that it's not just about, Oh, be more intuitive. It's like, we have to believe and understand what we're actually seeking to be able to like go into that place and to really gain some momentum and to really stick with it. Um, yeah. So I think that's um, an interesting piece. Like one of the things that I did this past couple weeks, I was noticing um, that there are a lot of people comfort food eating while we're in, you know, the middle of a quarantine or pandemic and people have been home for weeks and 
a lot of people are really coming up against their food issues and their edge. And it was interesting for me to do a little story on my Instagram last, I think it was last week, because what I was telling people and my clients specifically, but my Instagram followers as well, is there is biochemistry behind that, that is literally happening in your body with your fullness and satiation hormones that are, you know, changing because of our stress level, that are changing because of our sleep patterns right now. And many people are having a hard time sleeping when they're stressed out about what's going to happen. Many people are um, just stressing out about the future and feeling really uncertain. And this literally changes our biochemistry. And so we find ourselves beating ourselves up for craving our favorite comfort food or for noticing that um, things are different when our situation changes. And we think it's all in our head automatically. But what's interesting is it's really happening on a cellular level. And I think not to say that we can't work with that, but also to just notice that that's really part of the equation. So we're not turning it back into some kind of thing that we're doing wrong. And so there's, there's kind of a dance between, you know, understanding our body, understanding what feeds our body well and what nourishes our body on a biochemical level. And then there's also kind of overlaying that with the, you know, different ways that we can use the mind-body connection to start to listen a little bit more clearly, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I like how you say there's a dance. It's there's this dance between the physical, the mental kind of needing to know the facts and information about it, education, etc. And the emotional, where our uh, and you talked about cultural, which I think is really important, because in terms of mindfulness, if children don't grow up in any sort of mindfulness practice, or with parents who are doing mindfulness practice, it then takes another step for us as adults. I know I didn't grow up with that in the, uh, in the eighties. It wasn't even a thing that I knew of at the time. Um, and it, it requires a little bit of muscle to do a meditation practice or do a yoga practice or do any other kind of mindfulness practice, uh, journaling you mentioned as well. And there's always like you, we have to actually sometimes just schedule that time out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm really fascinated by the psychology around and, you know, being that you are a food psychologist, the psychology around people's relationships to, to food and how I have many clients myself as a coach where they come in and they need to lose 50 pounds and they lose 40 or they lose 45 and they just struggle with that last five pounds and then they fall off the wagon and then they gain 10 back and then they drop 15 and they hover right there, just so close to the edge of success. But it, because there's some psychology piece that has not been uh, unearthed within themselves through some type of mindfulness practice, they battle. There's a battle that ensues and it's not, a, a more, it's not an organic process anymore. It's a fight which uh, seems to me when you hit that fight stage that there's resentment that pops up or fear because you're in a, a state of fight, which is not, it's not relaxing in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned to me the other day about uh, your yogic philosophy tying into 
your work with food psychology and you help women with their mindfulness practice through yoga. And you are a yoga instructor, I know. Um, can you say more about your yoga practice, what kind of instructor you are, and how that ties into food psychology and working with women in the context of coming back into mindfulness around food? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I think you and I have this in common, actually, um, and I forgot about it until we spoke the other day. But <clears throat> So I grew up as a competitive gymnast, first of all. Um, yeah. And I was just talking about this um, last week when I was teaching. <clears throat> I was learning mindfulness as a really young kid without realizing it. Um, because when you're on the balance beam, and I think the balance beam is a great metaphor for this, if you lose your focus, you, you know, you lose your balance. Um, and it's just such an interesting thing. Like the wavering of the mind um, as a young kid was something that I really learned to hone more so than, you know, I would have had I not had that experience of being a competitive gymnast, I believe. And, you know, because I really, and I didn't, I didn't have a language for this. It was just happening naturally in my um, training. And then as I moved out of college and kind of my wrapped up my gymnastics career in my late, I guess I was in my like 19 or 20. And soon after found yoga, it was like a natural progression for me because I was very physical and I really liked the, you know, the certain kind of mindfulness movement that I had experienced all through my childhood in gymnastics. So, so it was a natural fit and I quickly like immersed myself in it and then eventually studied with Richard Friedman and became certified yoga instructor about, um, let's see, 17 or 18 years ago. And, um, and then I started teaching and I always had this a vision that I would bring my, uh, my nutritional therapy practice together with some kind of yoga. And I was never sure how. And then I started to teach yoga on my wellness retreats, which we would do some work around health and um, holistic healing and food, as well as yoga. And it was starting to really be an interesting um, connection to notice like what would happen over the seven days that I was with these women, when they were practicing yoga and meditation every day, lots of different kinds of inner reflection, plus learning about food and healing and health. And it started to really, you know, um, come together and weave together in a way that I was like, oh, this, this is something. Um, it's harder to do that, you know, in my office uh, with clients one-on-one. -on -one. So what has happened is instead of, you know, teaching them asana postures and yoga practices, um, what I've done rather than that is kind of bring over the foundation of yoga, which is more the philosophy and more the, um, you know, understanding and study of the mind and the body. And through some of the yogic um, guidelines or tenets, I've been able to really distill certain sort of lessons and teachings that I've pulled out of there and then been able to kind of apply them and overlap them with food and food psychology and eating. And it's interesting because sometimes, you know, I do that with people in layman's terms or they don't realize that we're talking yoga philosophy, <laughs> but because not everyone has the um, desire to know that or the um, understanding of some of the deeper teachings. So I've been trying to really find a way to make it um, in layman's terms and make it 
you know, work for people of different um, spiritual practice levels, I guess. And it's interesting because it really has been helpful. And I actually created one of my online programs called the Yoga of Eating around this exact thing where I finally was really consciously bringing together the two things and kind of helping them um, support each other in the process of healing. Um, and it seems like it works really well. And once again, it doesn't have to be in Sanskrit or, you know, in these deep, you know, very thick uh, texts that are found like in the ancient yogic, you know, texts back from thousands of years. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can be kind of the, um, the modern day version of that, that I seem to be able to really share with people in an effective way. And that's super helpful because I, I've studied a lot of those, uh, those texts and I've done a lot of spiritual study and I think it throws people off if it's too complicated. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Not only the, the mind body connection piece, um, it's also just the, um, the facts about uh, the biochemistry and so on and so forth. And you have such a beautiful way of bringing things into context of where people are in the moment. So if there are heavy science people, you can meet the heavy science people. And if they are not heavy science people like myself, I am an English teacher by trade <laughs> and, you know, reading is really my thing that more of a story helps sometimes for people like me. And uh, when we had the conversation just a couple of days ago, and even just the, the comment you made about the balance beam, oh my gosh, genius. I thought, absolutely, that was happening in my life. Right. And, you know, it's like, wow, thank you for bringing that back to me because that was so true. And I really struggle with balance beam, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my hardest event because I was, uh, yeah, I was just afraid, I guess, of being so high up. And, but the focus required to be a, a competitive gymnast absolutely is true. Um, and your, your way of meeting people where they are is, it's just incredible. You have a gift, a true gift that way. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I, um, yeah, yeah. I attended your yoga class uh, last Friday and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the best yoga class I've had ever in terms of like delivery. <laughs> Cause I actually knew what you were saying and I often will attend yoga classes and I know the language now, but I remember at the beginning where I thought, I don't have a clue of what this person's saying. And of course my head's on a swivel and it was defeating the purpose of actually being in the practice because mm -hmm. I was so worried about trying to figure out where I was supposed to go and what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I highly encourage those who are listening to attend your online yoga classes as well oh, and to, yeah. you know, yeah, connect in with your, your webpage and see when you're offering those uh, online yoga classes, because I found it to be enormously helpful. Wonderful. Yeah, it's been a really interesting gift coming out of this quarantine because I wasn't teaching regular classes in town anymore just because my bus my private practice is a little bit busy and it just seemed like, you know, taking those extra things off my plate was a good idea. But so I was really just teaching on retreats and at events. Um, and then this has been really, really fun to have this regular Friday class on zoom with people from all over and some of them from my are clients of mine that have been on retreats with me and I haven't seen them because they live across the country or even across the globe. And, um, it's been really fun to be teaching every week and to be seeing so many people live. And then of course I'm sending out the recording as well. So that's been, I think a good silver lining for me as far as things that I want to keep doing 
Edward. <laughs> Absolutely. And the nice thing about it is when you have that offering in the middle of the day, for people who work, you know, they can take a lunch break and go outside on the lawn if the weather is nice. Or there are always places in the workplace where we can even just sit down and do more of a visualization through the yoga class if we can't do all the physical moves. And so many workplaces have gyms as well. I know my, uh, well, the, I work at a university and of course there's a gym there. Mm -hmm. uh, several of them, as a matter of fact. So it's like people can, it's easier to, that you don't have to drive to a place, put on the special clothes, you know, get yourself mentally ready. Um, with the online version, I find it really freeing in a way because you can be in your regular work clothes if you have to. Uh, you know, and just modify things. And on top of that, there's there, it takes so much time off to not have to drive and change yeah. your clothes and all this. Yeah. Uh, so I really highly recommend those those sorts of times because that's one way to connect into that um, that self awareness practice or meditation practice without actually having to feel uncomfortable going into a group of people you maybe don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, a few months ago, I started going to a new dance class <clears throat> at our local gym that I have a membership at and where I practice yoga and such. And um, I hadn't been to this. It was like a funk dance class. So it was a little, you know, a little daunting. And I know the teacher, but I hadn't been. And so the morning of the dance class, I was so nervous. And I was going with a friend of mine and she was so nervous. And we both got there. We were like, wow, I can't believe how nervous we are. We're both yoga teachers. We go to classes all the time, but going to a new thing, it really reminded me that sometimes it's really daunting for people to walk into a yoga room if they haven't been there before, or if it's a new space, or if it's a new practice for them. And I just kind of really got that personal experience in my own way. And it was good for me to feel that so I could remember like, oh, there's a lot of people out there who are really intimidated or really nervous to try something new. And I do think these Zoom yoga classes, I mean, the first one I did, I, I shut off my video because I just was kind of feeling in a quiet, introverted space. Um, a lot of the women on mine have their video on, but that's also a nice option. You can shut off your video and you don't have to be, you know, seeing, having everyone see you if you don't want them to. Um, it's just a nice way to be able to start something new without maybe all of the intimidation that a lot of us feel walking into a room full of strangers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And also modifying. Um, when I did yoga with you last week, I was modifying a lot of things because I have not done yoga for several months. So, and I've been running outside because of the pandemic. So I have my ham hamstrings are ridiculously tight. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's happened to my body? Uh, just in a few short months, the the stretching ability was gone. And so I was definitely modifying. And I thought in a regular classroom, I would have been pushing myself in a different kind of way, which I'm over 50. So could lend, lend itself to injury as well. If you're trying mm -hmm. to be, you know, keep up with the class or whatever the psychology is in the mind. Yeah. So uh, that's the other great benefit is that if you need to modify, you can certainly do that and uh, still be part of the group. It's like yeah. you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone while you're practicing. And I know for a fact I've gotten up my yoga mat and tried to do a yoga practice by myself, and it is not the same. 
when the puppy's licking your face or suddenly, (laughs) you know, the timer goes off on the oven. You're like, why did I stick something in the oven and then start yoga? Yeah. You know, and it was just like, I could not get myself through it in the same way as that hour of accountability of being with other people on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little different. I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, it takes a lot of discipline and practice to have a really robust home practice, I think. Um, yeah. Having something to show up for in a time and a group of people, even if it's virtual, I think it's still really a nice little extra boost to get us there. And, um, you know, I've done some classes where I'm literally like waving at a friend on the screen who's also in the class. And even though we're not together right now and I miss being live with people a lot, it's definitely a very good option. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Because you remember what it feels like to be with the people in the room. So there's that bodily memory that happens. Yeah. It kind of takes you into that space. Uh, wow. Yeah. Good stuff. It's a good place for people to start if they want to acquire a little bit of mind body connection and they've never done it before, or mm-hmm. they have some practice, but need maybe that next step. So I, um, I, I love that you're offering that. Oh, thanks. It's been really fun for me. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so you were telling me about your new book, the book that you're writing. Oh, yeah. I also think that uh, we were talking about the education piece, you know, and the, the mindfulness practice piece. So your book sounds to me when you were explaining to me, and I'd love for you to share that with listeners, uh, about yoga and philosophy and how those things meet food psychology. Is this an education piece that you think will help people? Is it, it does it also offer uh, tips on how to do the mind uh, or the self-awareness or mind-body practices that you recommend mm-hmm. in yoga? So say a little bit more about your book. Yeah, so it's actually, I think there's what I would say four kind of aspects to it. Um, the first one is a lot of story. I have a lot of stories of my own experience, but I also have been in private practice for 18 years. So I have a lot of client testimonials and lots of case studies. And so I really believe that sometimes reading stories um, is a great segue to um, learning something and to kind of healing ourselves because it helps us to reconnect with the greater collective and realize that we're not alone in our experiences. Even though our experiences are unique, there's also probably some common denominators that, you know, many women experience. So I love to share some of those types of stories in my, in my writing. Um, I also talk a lot about data and science just because I really do find that to be quite intriguing myself. And I also know that there's some science scientists out there who really need that to anchor what they're understanding and learning. So there is a science based piece. There's also you know, the, the self-care and the ritual aspects of putting these things into practice. Um, and so with every, I guess you could call it ingredient or chapter in the book, there is definitely um, opportunity for reflection and home practice around, you know, some of the, the habits that people are wanting to, um, you know, kind of tie into their lives. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, kind of all, comes together in this interesting convergence where yeah I don't know I feel like I'm kind of just rolling with it but um and kind of making it up as I go but there seems to be something synergistically happening as I am writing because I'm still you know in the early stages of the book um and 
but there's, you know, there's definitely something happening where, you know, it's just sort of coming together. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. I've gotten through the first few chapters and I'm in the process of, you know, looking for a publisher and, um, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of letting it unfold. There's times where it's very inspired and it's just kind of happening really naturally. And then there's other times where I feel like I need to pause and, you know, something isn't quite um, flowing in a certain area yet. And then, then it shifts. And so I'm kind of just, I'm kind of doing the same thing I'm talking about with eating is I'm just letting it flow and following my own um, inspiration, which it's, you know, it's a little tricky, but um, when you start getting deadlines imposed on the writing, it changes a little bit, but but right now that's been really good for me to just kind of let it happen. But it's definitely like a big, um, what would we call it? Like a, a big offering of a lot of years of my work kind of all distilled together into one body of work, hopefully. <laughs> Sounds like a PhD. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a wonderful thing to have a culmination of your life's work put into one place like and publish that because it gives other people that uh, first step where they don't have to go through all the same steps in the process necessarily. They can start here with this book and pull together all the pieces they already have, add in the new things they're learning and then launch forward into, of course, their life's work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely one to like to include things to practice at home because I do think that's where we're going to see a change. You know, if we just read and take in information, it's, it's a great first step, but there needs to be some, a next step into, you know, actually coming out of our automatic habits and behaviors and becoming a little bit more intentional in those for there to be, you know, long-term change. Absolutely. Yeah. I recently heard uh, someone describe that as one arm swimming that, you, <laughs> you know, you gather knowledge, you gather knowledge, and it's like, you just have one arm going in the pool and you're going around in a circle in right. order to like carry that body of wisdom somewhere. You have to add the other arm into your stroke in order yes. to swim across the pool to the other side there. So it's I, that visual, <laughs> yeah, that visual yeah. for me stuck in my head. Yeah, I can see why. Because I feel like I've spent some parts of my life definitely doing the one arm swim. I love learning and sometimes the practice of it, it's like, no, I want to just keep reading. I don't want to have to put things mm -hmm. into motion, but uh, mm -hmm. taking that next step and actually, you know, moving toward the goal of mastery is, uh, is an important step in, in not only education or relationship to food psychology, but in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think of this as like, there's so many metaphors in here <laughs> True. or, you know, the food piece can be a metaphor, a metaphor for our life. The food piece can be a metaphor for how we run our business or, you know, there's so many metaphors in looking at, you know, how all these things play out because there's a saying, um, I think Janine Roth was one of the original per people to quote this, but the saying is how we do anything is how we do everything. And I really see that, you know, in a lot of the different ways that I've watched myself. Um, so, you know, it's all, it's all the same. It's just, we play it out in different areas of our life. And so it's interesting to, if we work on one area, I believe that, you know, naturally 
other areas will follow suit, even if we're not aware of it, just because that's just how our beings are. We're so interconnected. Yeah. I love that quote you just said, how we do anything is how we do everything. So who said that? Janine Roth. She Mm -hmm. wrote a book called um, When Food is Love. And she's a very well-known author and speaker around um, healing uh, a lot around disordered eating, Uh, food psychology, but very specifically more so in the disordered eating realm. Um, She's got some great books. I think she has like four or five published books and she's a great resource for sure. Absolutely. I, I know I've heard that title and I, I wonder if I actually even have that book and maybe never read it. <laughs> I, I collect library, a library of books. I have hundreds of books. Uh, and of course, you know, when you have, when you collect a lot of them, you don't always oh, get yeah, to read them. Right. So I'm definitely going to check to see, cause that title sounds yeah. so familiar to me. Yeah. She's got some great online resources and she's a really um, great author and writer. So yeah, and we can uh, we can definitely link her to this podcast as well, so that or her site, so that people can check it out uh, mm-hmm. if you feel that's a good um, yeah, re- resource for for people who are listening. Um, one more thing, I know. Let, let me. I just want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Oh, good. Oh, we yeah. we still have another 15 minutes. Uh, so tell us about your your workshops, uh, your yoga retreats and workshops. I, mm. I'm very interested mm. myself. Can't wait to sign up for one. Oh, um, so tell, <laughs> tell everyone about that and what you offer and, and what to expect when they are on retreat with you. Oh, great. Sure. Um, well, obviously some things have been put on hold for the short term. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but as of this moment, um, I have a few different offerings coming up. Um, Basically, in a nutshell, I lead both local and international women's retreats. Um, and the local ones are usually right here in Colorado, a couple hours away, uh, down in the little mountain village where there's hot springs and um, kind of a very zen vibe with the, the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which is in southern Colorado. Um, so that's where we go for our weekend retreats. And those are just two nights um, And then I also travel to, as of now, Costa Rica and Bali are the two places I've been going for many years um, to teach. Usually I go to Costa Rica in the winter and Bali in the early summer or late spring. And that's because the temperatures there in their, what's their winter in Bali in June, for example, is beautifully pleasant and like in the low 80s or high 70s versus 100 degrees when it's January. (laughs) Big difference. Um, Yeah. So it's just, it's just like a really good time of year to be there. So yeah, I teach a Costa Rica retreat every winter with my uh, close friend and business partner, Lauren Lewis, who um, she's a natural chef and also a yoga instructor. And so we do women's health, yoga, meditation, um, workshops, uh, cooking, conscious cooking, we call it. And there's a lot of beach life and sunsets and, you know, great food and all of that. So it's a really beautiful experience uh, to be in Costa Rica, where we go is what we call the blues, what are known as the blue zones. And so the little town in the area that we go in Costa Rica is technically a blue zone. So blue zones are known for people living a little bit longer and having higher levels of health and longevity. And it's based on different components uh, in the environment, including spirituality, community, um, fresh air, lack, low levels of pollution, 
food and diet um, and things like that. And so we really get to immerse into the blue zone life. And it's, it's pretty amazing. I always feel so rejuvenated and filled up with, you know, beach walks and sunrises and sunsets and, you know, lots of healthy food and local eating and that type of thing. So, um, so that's uh, this, this year right now we have a retreat happening February 20th um, in 2021. And then um, Bali for me is a little bit different. I teach it by myself. It's smaller. So it's about eight or nine women, depending on the sleeping arrangements. And um, it's both an immersion into the Balinese culture and the Hindu culture, which is great because that's where yoga comes from. We do a lot of goddess study because the goddesses and the mythology there is so relevant. Um, They are such a devotional culture that it really pairs well with that, like the work that we're doing. So we kind of, you know, experience some of the Balinese rituals and full moons and things that they have as an integral part of their day to day. We also do Balinese cooking and there's just so many beautiful places to visit, like temples and waterfalls and that type of thing. So it's a little more excursion focused. Uh, we do practice yoga every day, meditation every day. And, you know, we definitely get uh, to like soak up the tropics, but also experience some of the cultural aspects that are just really out of this world and really, um, really beautiful to be able to experience. Um, and that retreat, as I said, is usually in June. So it's June um, 19th, 2021 is the next one. And yeah, and it's such an amazing healing and magical, magical place to visit. Bali is just one of the most magical places I've ever been. So I love both of those international retreats so close, so dearly. Um, and as of now, I have a Colorado retreat in September at the end of September, September 27th to 29th. It's local. It's about three hours from Denver where we go. Um, and it's just such a sweet little mountain, um, vibe. Yeah. And I may be adding another or even another because I had to postpone (laughs) a couple things and, you know, we're just, I'm just trying to kind of keep up, but this, this spring has kind of thrown a little wrench into my retreat planning. Um, I am in the process of planning a virtual retreat, which, um, is kind of to be announced as far as dates, but that will be coming soon as well. Just because I feel like people are needing it, but we can't quite gather yet. So yeah. hopefully a virtual retreat will be, um, will be something that can help. Yeah, that would be, I mean, they all sound fabulous. Just to clarify the Colorado's, uh, retreat, September 27th to 29th, that's 2020 or 2021. Yes, that is 2020. Okay. Right now. 2020. Yeah. Great. So, and that's yeah. probably also contingent on how this exactly pandemic. Yeah. yeah. In fact, exactly. I had to postpone from April 17th, which was just a couple of weeks ago, um, to, to the, to the end of September. So that was a kind of a shifting of dates because of the pandemic. So hopefully we'll be in better shape by September. We'll see. Uh, this, your, your workshops just sound fantastic. I want to go to oh, all of them. Oh, they are so, I love, I love Sign it. Me up. You know, I just love it. It's, it's a great thing to be able to be a part of. And I feel really grateful that, um, that people want to come and be with me on these retreats because it's been such a labor of love and also something that, um, has really also filled me up. I, I mean, I always get something from being on retreat, even when I'm facilitating and, um, so it always, it, I always look forward to it. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you the question I asked you a few days ago when we spoke. Uh, 
say a little bit for people who maybe are nervous about not having a lot of yoga experience going on a yoga retreat? Oh, yeah. So just to be clear, I wouldn't ever really call it a yoga retreat just because I don't really want that message to be what people hear because there's so much more that happens that isn't really yoga, even though it might be yogic, so to speak. Um, yoga is really just such a small part. It's an important part because it is the awareness, mind, body connection piece that we work with. But I have had people who have never done yoga come on my retreats. I have had people with injuries who can't do yoga or can very have to modify their practice quite extensively. I've had those people come on retreat. Um, I've had people do private yoga sessions with me for two or three months before they go on the retreat because they want some experience and they're new to yoga. I have had um, people take naps during yoga because they're exhausted from their life and they decided that a nap is more supportive to their retreat than yoga. All of those things are perfectly acceptable. Um, yoga, we practice usually one time a day, occasionally two times a day if we're doing like a very restorative practice at the end of the day or something like that where we're, you know, basically, you know, in a passive um, type of a practice rather than an active practice. Um, and yeah, there's just so much that comes out of it. I actually have a woman right now who is coming to my Zoom classes and she is elderly and she is watching them. She keeps emailing me that she's learning so much from watching our practice. Yeah. Um, and I've had that same type of thing happen on retreat where people are wanting to be in that vibration and wanting to be in that environment and you know for whatever limitation they have mentally or physically they are more observing the yoga or just participating gently in the yoga um and it really it really it's really a personal choice um i think that if you decide to go on a retreat of any kind you know it's really up to you to take care of you like looking for what you need and filling your retreat with what you need and that can be so individual. And so while we love participation and we love group process and things like that, there's also a very loving approach to people taking care of themselves and bowing out of things, I guess you could say. I love that. I love that. It takes the pressure off. And I find that when the, totally. when the pressure is off, then sometimes you really just step in to do it anyway, because you don't feel the pressure. <laughs> At least mm -hmm. that's been my experience a few times. Wow, your your workshops just sound fantastic. And like I said, I cannot wait to join you on on one next year, uh, based, of course, on your availability. I know these fill up quickly. So I encourage people who are listening to, you know, connect in on your website and and see what the dates are and, and think ahead like that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So how can people reach you? Uh, do you, I, you can give your website, uh, your Facebook page, if you have one, in yeah. Instagram handle, phone number, sure. email, anything you want to share. Yeah. Well, I think the easiest way to get all of that is um, through my website, which is bouldernutrition.com. There's an opt-in there where you can put your email and your information and you will get my weekly um email blasts and often those come with like recipes or home practices or little inspirations or articles or even podcasts um, that I put together. So that's a great way to stay connected. I also announce new things and new retreats and offerings <clears throat> in those emails. Um, my Instagram is Boulder Nutrition and my um, 
Facebook business page is also Boulder Nutrition. So you can find me there if you want to follow me there. And I do, uh, I, I post quite a bit on Instagram. I'm not like a religious daily poster. Some days are just a little hectic for me to, to get to Instagram sometimes, but, um, but I'm definitely active on Instagram and sometimes Instagram stories and lives as well. So that's a great way to stay connected. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of different options. There's a work with me page on my website. There is, which goes over all the different ways of connecting. There's also a retreat page. Um, I do also have, you know, a blog with a host of articles. I have a recipe blog with a whole bunch of recipes um, that are updated regularly. And then I also have a podcast, which um, I am, I would say I do little series on my podcast more than regular podcasting at this point. So I'll do a series and then I'll take a break and then I'll do a series and take a break. But, um, you know, that's always an ever-changing project. <laughs> yeah. As you probably know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Based on sort of what's relevant and what's going on. But I love the idea of the little series because it also gives people a chance to digest what you're offering, what you're saying. Yeah. So they can just, you know, go back. I like to re re-listen to podcasts in situations like that where it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of meaty information and you just want to make sure you get it all so you listen to it, you know, over and over. So you take it in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. I love podcasting. It's a it's a good modality for sure. I think so. I or something high on my list. I listen to a podcast every single day, so I can just you know keep bringing into my awareness new information. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you yeah, so much great. for uh, joining me today. I love your yoga philosophy connected with the food psychology and of course nutrition which is your background um and that what you said about connecting uh reconnecting to the intelligence and wisdom of our bodies is so uh, it's just so perfect because it's such a simple way of looking Mm, at the the relationship as you said we have to food to our bodies and to pleasure. And today we didn't get to that piece, the mm-hmm. pleasure piece. And I think that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> we can totally come back to that another time. Totally. But yeah, yeah, let's schedule it. <laughs> Maybe we could do it from Bali. <laughs> that would be really cool. Ooh, that would be really cool. I know it is. It's just just (laughs) looking at pictures of it. You can see the the food, the culture, everything is just so sublime. Love it. Yeah. Flower (laughs) mandalas on every table. And, you know, it's like there's just over the top pleasure. Yeah. Well, we have something to look forward to in Bali. Yeah, I can't, can't wait. So Sue, again, Sue Van Rays from Boulder Nutrition. Thank you so much for being here today. And um, for those of you who want to reach, who want to reach out to Sue, uh, the website, of course, is bouldernutrition.com. And uh, you can always reach this, this podcast and others on Wise Women Fly, uh, my Facebook page, or hashtag Wise Women Fly in Instagram, you'll find me there as well. So Sue, Love you so much. I am so blessed by your presence. I'm glad that uh, that we are friends. I'm so blessed to have you as a friend. Oh, thank you. You too. It's been so good to talk to you. And I look forward to yes, staying connected. And I'm sure and the listeners will next. too. So thanks to all of you for listening and for being here today, mm-hmm. for visiting the Wise Women Fly 
page and we will be back again next week with another podcast. Sue, have a great week weekend and uh, we will talk again soon. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Thanks so much.